Today, what God put on my heart is the power of peace. And I have a sermon here titled, A Sleeping Savior and a Storm. And I think that we can be so forgetful of all that God has given to us. And peace, it's not just something that we all could desperately use more of. Peace is one of the most powerful weapons you'll ever have in your arsenal of Christian gifts. So let's pray, ask a blessing on the word, and we'll dive right in. Father, I, again, am just so grateful for this family. So grateful for the house of God that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. So grateful for a house that wants to see the lost saved. And grateful for a house here who believes that you are still able, that revival is right around the corner. God, that you want to do a great thing in Duncanville and beyond. So thank you, Father, for my friends here who have hearts that are aflame for you, hearts full of compassion because of your love and your blood and all that you have done for us. And now as we have the incredible privilege of opening your word to hear from heaven, may you speak to each and every one of us, God, on an individual basis. I have words you have put on my heart, Father, but you have words you want to speak to your children. So open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds. We lay our agenda aside. We lay our distractions aside. We want you right now. May you lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was a senior in high school, I uh, bought um, my second car. Uh, my first car was a Chevrolet Cavalier, but uh, I'm a truck guy. And so I bought my first truck. It was a 1995 uh, Chevrolet Silverado with about 185,000 miles on it. <laughs> but as a, a teenager and a senior in high school, I had an awesome truck, and I started doing little things to it to make it prettier. You know how guys are, and we, we love our cars. And, one thing you could do to a truck uh, when you customize it is you take the back bumper off and you put a, a roll of metal on the back end of it called a roll pan. And it makes the back end of the truck look completely flush and Frenched. And it's just one of those things that are totally unnecessary, but we do anyway. And so I remember me and my best friend, we were on the driveway of my parents' house and I'm trying to take the bolts off of this bumper and pull it off and then to put this new piece of metal on and drilling holes in the side of the, the back quarter panels. And I had this dinky little drill gun that had a battery that would keep dying on me. So I'm sitting there like... And then I would go and get the backup battery and put that in, but they weren't charged, of course. So... So three hours are going by, and I'm desperately trying to get this bumper off and to get these holes drilled so I can get this thing on my truck. And my friend's just sitting there watching me, not helping, you know, and just watching me sweat underneath this truck. Finally, my dad comes out from the kitchen, comes into the garage to grab something. He's like, what you doing? And I said, oh, you know, you've seen me. I've been out here trying to get this bumper on. And he goes, oh. He's like, well, why don't you use the drill gun that plugs into the wall? I was like, you had a drill gun that... It, powered by the wall power, and you never told me anything? And he started laughing like only a good dad does, laughing away. He's like, well, you never asked. <laughs> and he goes into the house, and so I grabbed that, finished the, the job. But I learned something that day, is that my dad, who's been on planet Earth way longer than me, has a whole lot more stuff than me. And if I don't simply open my mouth and ask, I can go without some of the things that he has that I couldn't afford or some of the knowledge and experience that I haven't accepted yet. So you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> we have a heavenly father where in, in Ephesians 1.3, it says that he has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings of heaven. And we sang today about God's amazing grace and amen to that. But grace, we see as unmerited favor. Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. But, but grace is getting something, you know, well, 
Yeah, you don't, you deserve to get punished, but in his mercy, he doesn't allow you. But we don't deserve blessing, but we still get it because of grace. It's unmerited favor. But I like to define grace as everything that Jesus purchased on a cross for us. And as he died on that cross, and we're going to celebrate come Easter, he died for our forgiveness. He died for our salvation. He died by his stripes, we are healed. He died for our healing. He died for our deliverance. He died for our prosperity. All these things are gifts that God has given to us, freedoms that we now have because we're a believer. But isn't it amazing that though Jesus completely died and and he, he forgave us of all of our sin and our sins are as far as the east is from the west, he remembers them no more and all the things he has given to us in authority of the name of Jesus Christ, we can forget And not only do we forget, we face battles and struggles and pain and difficulty, completely forgetting of all the gifts and the things that Jesus has given to us. And today I want to talk about a big forgotten gift, and that gift is peace. You know, the the fruit of the Spirit says that there is love, joy, and peace. We have been given a free gift of peace that we have that, that we can use against the things that the devil wants to throw our way. I mean, right now, we are in a society that is riddled with anxiety, riddled with fear, riddled with doubt. I mean, we are filled up with so much fear that even the the most simple little task of getting out of bed or going to work or or handling the life's errands and, and situations are too difficult because we're paralyzed by our own fears. Peace is not only desperately needed, but peace is the biggest weapon we can have to live out the calling of what God has put in our hearts We got this pandemic, we got changes in government, we got anxiety disorders and all these other things, but no matter what we face in life, the scriptures are very clear that we have been given a peace that transcends all understanding. We have supernatural access to a peace. Remember a friend of mine, her sister had passed away of cancer. And I I remember ministering to her, I'm like, how are you doing, how are you doing? And she goes, "You'll, you'll never understand this, I don't think, Rudy. And she said, right now, I actually have a joy where I shouldn't have a joy. I should be mourning right now. She's like, but I believe that God has given me supernatural joy where I, in the natural, I should be mourning, but he's given me a joy. And that's the type of peace that we have in God, that we shouldn't have peace right now. We, we, with all that's going on, and I can't even stand to watch the news longer than two minutes. I, I can't be on social media longer than a minute without like, okay, I need to go back to my prayer closet. But by what goes on in our world, we have a peace that transcends understanding, a peace that the normal person in our world would not have if they do not have Jesus as Savior. Why would we go about our day without tapping into the free things that God has freely given to our hearts? And peace is something that we should have constantly as we do with wisdom and discernment. Because sometimes you'll have a lack of peace because you have fear in your heart, or you have doubt, and because you, you're making room for fear and doubt, you're not giving space for peace. So sometimes we don't have peace because we've allowed other things, the lies of the enemy and the deception and the distraction of the enemy in our hearts, and we don't have peace. But sometimes we don't have peace because it's not God's will. Have you ever like, ooh, I really want to do that, but I just got this weird little feeling, this weird little lack of peace. That may be God telling you, don't do it, dummy. Just... <laughs> Just don't do it. You know you shouldn't do it. Don't, don't try to do it and, and ask for forgiveness later. We just know sometimes we have a lack of peace. So we, in, in, in the spiritual gifts that we have, need to discern, Father, is this lack of peace because I'm not tapping into what you gave me? 
and I'm just dealing with this enemy who's running his mouth because that's all he can do. His power was stripped. He's been defeated. He's been destroyed. Am I listening to him too much and I'm losing my peace? Or am I about to do something that your grace is not on? And I need to tune in and say, okay, I need to slow down here. So peace is so vital. And one of the greatest examples in the scripture of peace that I, I know of is that of Jesus sleeping on a boat and having complete peace. And there are some dynamic lessons that we can learn in this. So if you have your Bibles, whether electronic or uh, written out, uh, go with me to the book of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And I'll repeat again, I always read out of the New American Standard. Uh, One of my friends said that it sounds like Yoda wrote the New American Standard Bible because it sounds backwards. It doesn't read too easily. Well, that's because it's a direct translation. It's not a paraphrase or an easier to read translation. But as a preacher, I really appreciate that, that it's, it's, it's literal. It's, it's as best to the original language as possible. Um, so I'll try to make it a little easier for us to, to grasp. But again, that's Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 35, and I'll read about seven verses here. It's typically a story that we know very, very well. And I'll, I'll read a verse and stop, read a couple verses and stop. Uh, there's some things that God really revealed to me this week about this scripture uh, that we can easily just go right beyond. So starting in verse 35, says, On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Wow, powerful. See, we could just read right past verse 35. But when you stop and say, Holy Spirit, why is 35 important? Well, it says, Let us go over to the other side. That's important for a lot of reasons. The first reason why it's important is because whenever you're about to go somewhere, or God has given you a vision, or God has given you clear direction on on where to go on a journey with him, you better believe there's going to be some opposition. So Jesus wasn't just going on a a two-hour cruise on a lake, the Sea of Galilee. He had a purpose. He was going from one place, from Nazareth, over to another place to the capitalist. He had a journey in mind. He had an assignment given to him from God, so there's no wonder why there was a storm in the middle of that. Every time my my family and I made a transition, whether we packed up an RV and moved across the country, we always knew we were about to enter a season. We're about to enter possible difficulty. So if we know that we're about to go into a war, we better have our guns, we better have our helmets, we better have our armor ready to go. And so I have always declared in my household that one of the top priorities, the top heart values in our family, aside from the presence of God being paramount, is that we will value peace in this home. We will not let this storm turn us against each other. We will not let this difficulty take our eyes off of Jesus. We know we're about to go into some heavy stuff, but we know who's got our back and who's within us. So understand that when you go on to a journey where God's called you to something great, there's going to be some opposition. But do not fear because the devil has been defeated. He can't destroy you. He can only try to distract you. Okay. And then it says we're going to the other side. Well, what was on the other side? A poor guy who had 2,000 demons inside of him. So Jesus says, hey, we got a big crowd here that needs me to touch them and lay hands on them and and preach to them and tickle their ears and all that. But we got a poor soul over here who can break through chains and have 2,000 demons. So I see the compassion of Jesus saying, we got to go over there. Then in verse 36, Jesus leaving the crowd. There's a good time when you got to say no to some really good things. It's good to preach. It's good to lay hands on the sick. But sometimes you got to walk away from the crowd and go to one assignment. So it says, Jesus leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in a boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. 
And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Now, you may know this already, but the Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide, about 11 miles long. It is 700 feet below sea level. It's in the Great Rift Valley where the Sea of Galilee goes down to the Jordan River and into the Dead Sea. And in that valley, because Israel is very much like my old San Diego climate, very tropical, at any moment, these crazy tropical storms can come in and make it feel like there's a hurricane. I mean, you can look out there and it's clear skies and then out of nowhere, these dark clouds will come in and winds at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour would come. Now you think, okay, that's fine. At least they're on a boat. This ain't no cruise ship. Okay, if you're on a cruise ship in this city on the water, basically, and big waves come, no big deal. If it's raining, just go inside, watch a show, go inside your cabin, no big deal. But I think we have a, a picture of what a boat on the sea would look like. Now, this boat here is actually called the Jesus boat, and it was found on a very significant year of drought in Israel on the Sea of Galilee. So this is about a 2,000-year-old boat, very, very similar to what, may, what they may have been on when they were fishing or traveling from one end of the Sea of Galilee to the other. Now, can you imagine? 40, 60 mile an hour winds. It says that that little boat with some disciples and a sleeping savior on the front was filling up with water. Now, I get scared when I hear lightning and thunder and I'm inside of my home. I can't imagine being on something like this at nighttime with winds, no electricity, no, no cell phone, no, no, no direction, nothing. I mean, this is a very scary thing. And then we see here in verse 38, it still amazes me. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus was asleep. It's like, my wife has a gift of sleep. She can sleep anywhere, anytime, doesn't matter. Night, night, boom, she's out. It takes me forever to fall asleep. My mind keeps going. Some people have a gift of sleep. But Jesus could sleep during a storm. And don't just think that, well, of course, it was Jesus. Never forget that Jesus put his divinity aside to live this life as a man, to go through all the temptations we go through, and to live in right relationship with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, so that he can go about accomplishing God's will in the flesh. So, hey, Jesus had no separation of the Father, and he had a Holy Spirit to empower him. Guess what you and I have? No separation from the Father. Our sins are no more and we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You and I can have the same supernatural peace that Jesus had. It says that he was asleep. But see, this is the danger. This is what we need to be careful of. Notice what the disciples said to Jesus. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Oh, family, I implore you to never, ever get to the place where your pain is so crippling that it causes you to doubt the love of the Father. Do you even care, Jesus? Of course he cares. But sometimes the, the struggle is so deep. Sometimes the pain is so real. And I, I've, I've held a mother who had the blood of her son still on her shirt. I know the depths of pain. But we can never get to a place where this, this side of eternity and this world that we can doubt the goodness, the love, and the power of our mighty God. We've got to hold that as a value in our heart to rise above any storm. And then let, let's wrap this story up here. In verse 39, Jesus, he says, he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
I would have looked very dumb in the face of Jesus. Like, uh, basically, Jesus was saying, why didn't you tell the storm to be quiet? I've taught you how to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. You have the same authority that I have. I've given you authority unto heaven. I've commanded you to go do supernatural things. Why didn't you tell the storm to die down? Sometimes we get mad at God for not doing something he's already given us the authority to do. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and felt like they were hitting the ceiling? Because we're supposed to pray for things that only God could do, but we command things that he has given us authority to do. We can't save somebody, only God can do that, but we can heal somebody. So we pray for the salvation of our family, but we lay hands on the sick and command those things to go. So he looked at them and said, why, why haven't you? Have you no faith? And again, I might have said this already, but faith in the Greek is pistis, which means a conviction of truth. Have you ever known that you're about to win an argument with your spouse? And you know you, you're going to win this and you're just letting them finish their monologue. You're letting them finish their rant. And you're like, go ahead, go ahead. I'm about to win this one. You're convinced of it, right? You have a confidence, you know, almost a cockiness to yourself. I mean, in the, in the faith, we should have a conviction and, and, and be so convinced of who God is in our lives. And that only happens with testimony. You get testimony after testimony after testimony. You get to a place of trust in God, and you have a place where you have so much faith because if he did it then, he'll do it again. And I don't care what's before me. God is supernatural. He can rise above anything that I go through in life. You have a conviction in your heart, but only you can do that. Only you can build the muscle of faith in your heart to get the scriptures in your heart, to look at what he's done in the past, to reflect over and over again because it's so easy to forget. I had a, a professor in... Uh, my Old Testament survey professor, 76-year-old professor Sammy, he wouldn't let me call him anything else, and he had a three-by-five card in his pocket and had all of his favorite scriptures. And I said, Professor Sammy, you should have memorized those by now. <laughs> You're 76 years old, and you haven't memorized those? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's not about memorization, because the key to remembering is review, review, review. But the key to forgetting is neglect, neglect, neglect. We, we know the, the stories in the Bible. But when push comes to shove and we're facing difficulty in life, we need to know. We need to have a confidence. And that only comes from review, review, review over and over again. Let me tell you, if you can sit at your desk at work and worry all day long and still get your work done, you're, you're taking care of those files, you're taking care of the data, you're answering phone calls, sending emails, but the whole time you're stressing and you're worrying. If you can worry all day long and still go about your day, guess what? You can worship all day long and go about your day. It's not a matter about having time. We don't make time for God. We make time for everything else. And we can meditate on the scripture all day long as you're going about your day. It's up to you to make the value in your heart to stay focused on God. And when you do that, the natural byproduct is peace, is faith, is power, is expectation. It's awesome stuff. And so if you're taking notes here today, I got a couple uh, bits of encouragement for you and looking at the example of Jesus. Because when I read this scripture, all I see is that Jesus had peace, then Jesus spoke peace, and then there was peace. And I, I see this process of Jesus having peace, possessing peace. The disciples didn't, but Jesus had peace, and because of that, he could speak peace, and then there was peace. And the same is available for you and I today. So number one is to get peace. We need to get peace. We need to make it our aim to possess peace. I remember there was a story of a painting contest where an artist said, I want to see the greatest picture of peace. 
So all these artists enter the contest and they have multiple paintings of, of a nice meadow or a gentle little baby lamb or, you know, a mother holding a, an infant, you know, all the, the images of peace that we can come up with. But the picture that won was this giant picture of a horrible dark storm, lightning in the back, dark clouds, rain so hard it, and wind so fast it was going sideways. And there's these giant waves that were smashing against these ugly pointy rocks. And that was the picture they won. And so one person came up, how could this win? That says nothing about peace. And then the, the person who was running the contest said, no, 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 you got to look deeper. And when you zoom in on one of the little clefts in the rock, you could see a little mother bird. Her wings were around her baby chicks and the chicks were completely asleep. That is a perfect picture of peace where all hell could be breaking loose around you. But because of the loving arms of our father, the scriptures say that he longs to gather us like a mother hen gathers her chicks. It's in the shadow of his wings that we find peace. You know what's so funny? It was um, Corey Ten Boom, fantastic preacher of the word of God, survivor of the Holocaust, became a preacher. Corey Ten Boom said that if he hides us in the shadow of his wings, oh, fear not, believer. Because sometimes when it's darkest, it just means that he is that near. And we have a reason to celebrate. So the perfect, perfect picture of peace is that it, we have no reason to have peace, but yet we do. Because God is with us and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And in John 14, 27, Jesus says that my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give, but my peace I give you. Again, peace is a gift and it comes from God. And the fact is, if you want peace, you're going to be very shocked to find out that you already got it. You already have it because it's a gift. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, that means that it is a gift that we have the freedom to receive. But if you're anything like me, sometimes you struggle to receive. Oh, oh no, I, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm fine, I'm fine. Don't, don't, don't you know, bother yourself with, with my needs. Sometimes Christians have guilt or shame or we, we feel like we're inconveniencing people and we don't know how to receive. But well, one of the strongest things that you can learn as a believer is to learn how to receive. Because God has demonstrated and has modeled to us that he wants to freely give to us all things. We need to learn how to receive. And God has purchased this gift for us. He has purchased peace for us. We simply have to learn how to receive it. And peace is a gift, but sometimes we have to fight to keep our peace. You know, there's peacemakers and peacekeepers. We, we enter different seasons. Have you ever had a fight for your peace? Whether that's you lost your job and you're fighting to keep your peace and to keep a positive spirit, or you got that one coworker, you're like, oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Woo -hoo -hoo -hoo, help me, Lord, not to lose my peace. <laughs> you want to slap somebody in the face. Sometimes we have to fight for it, but that's because there's a devil who's still alive. There's a devil who still wants to talk and he wants to distract us. But sometimes we need to realize that God has given me this, this gift. And I shouldn't get distracted. And I shouldn't be overwhelmed. Even though I feel depleted, I need to tune in to what God has done. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard to switch gears. When, when your emotions have been going all day long, and then you get to a place where you're stuck and defeated and depleted, and you have to say, oh, God, I, I need to get out of this funk. What can I do? And this is what I would encourage you to do. Because peace is not only a gift. Peace is also a product of what we can do in the natural. It is supernatural as a gift but there's things that we can do in the natural to get there. So peace, I believe, is a byproduct of rest. Peace is a byproduct of rest. How do you get rest? 
You get rest with trust. Now, when you're a little kid and you had a horrible nightmare, where do you go? Mom and dad's bed. You have the worst dream. There's monsters and aliens and scary things, and you run straight into mom and dad's bed because it, was, it would be over their dead body that they would let, let any harm come to you. But isn't it amazing that you can have the most horrific experience as a kid, but the second you get under those covers, all of that fear melts away. Your parents didn't do anything. They're probably still snoring. But just you being in their presence because you trust them, there is rest. And when there is rest, then there is peace. So peace is a byproduct of rest. Rest only comes from a place of trust. And let me, let me encourage you that, that true peace is not the absence of difficulty. True peace is the presence of rest. It's the presence of the one who loves us. So peace is a byproduct of rest. Rest is a byproduct of trust. And trust only comes through worship. Worship. So if you have no peace and you're completely in unrest, and you, you, you're distracted and you're not trusting God, you're, you're believing the lies of the enemy, what do you do? Stop. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> that's, that's some of the most wise advice we could ever receive is shush, stop. Shut it down. Stop. Worship. And worship turns your heart's affection back to the Father. And worship turns your attention back to his word. And worship magnifies who he really is. He is God. He is able. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And then you worship and you're like, yes, that's right, God. You've been there before. I can trust you. Oh, Father, because I can trust you, you're taking care of it. I don't have to stress or worry. Now I have rest. And now that I'm in a place of rest, wow, look at how this peace is manifesting. And with peace, it becomes my weapon. And peace allows me to face the storm. And peace allows me to tackle anything that comes before me because God is with me. Who can be against me? I love the song that though the weapon may be formed, it won't prosper. God is good and we have his peace. Number two, after we learn how to get peace and possess peace, we need to learn how to speak peace. Declare peace. Words are so powerful. I remember a little kid's illustration where in a Sunday school, they they were talking about the power of words because Proverbs 18.21 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so they wanted to teach this principle to little kids. So they gave them those little travel-sized toothpaste, little Crest toothpaste, and a paper plate. And they said, hey, take the toothpaste and and start making whatever you want with it. And kids are like, ah, you're making all these crazy designs and having fun. It's all over the place. And then the teacher would say, okay, great. Now let's clean up. Everybody put your toothpaste back in the tubes. And these little kids are like, huh? It doesn't work. And the teacher would be like, that's right. Because just like our words, it's so easy to let them out, but it's so hard to bring them back in. Words are powerful. Sometimes we have to declare God's truth and the power of God's word just so our own ears can hear them. Sometimes we got to speak truth, even though our heart is terrified. We got to speak truth so it comes right around, smacks us in the ear, and then our minds can be transformed and we can manifest peace again. But speaking words are so powerful. Jesus had peace and then he spoke peace and then that peace that he spoke was able to, to completely kill a storm that he rebuked. God created this entire universe with a word. <laughs> when we become saved, that means we were headed towards hell, and then we accepted Jesus, and our sins were gone. We became a new creation. Our spirits were resurrected, and we became a child of God. All of that happened. Our eternity secure. Being in heaven for all of eternity happened upon the confession of our faith and our belief that Jesus is the Son of God and rose from the dead. A word. 
Now, if God can create a universe with the word, if we can, can completely settle our souls for all of eternity on a word, how much more can our words that we declare every single day change our circumstances, our emotions, our little things? Words are completely powerful. And let me just preach real quick. I know I've been loving you and, and teaching you this morning, but I just got to preach. I got to slide a little stinger in there every now and then. Be careful marrying your misery with comedy. Sometimes comedy can be the quickest open door for the enemy's influence. What do I mean by that? That means making light of depression, making light of anxiety, making light of, of panic disorders and panic attacks and, and fears and doubts and all those things. If you look on the internet, you'll find lots of memes and lots of funny videos that where you're like, oh, what a beautiful morning. Let me just wake up. And then you have fear, anxiety, looking down. <laughs> We're going to mess your day up. And people laugh about this kind of stuff. And we'll, we'll make light and joke and, and, and joke around about stuff like, oh, ooh, no, that gives me anxiety, or that gives me stress, or that, that freaks me out, you know? And it's so easy to say these light, easy words, but let me encourage you not to make light and fun of those things. If you feel the sense and the need to say, oh, that gives me anxiety, switch it around. Say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for your peace. Imagine saying that in a, in a crowd of people that aren't believers. If you ever want to kill a conversation, just throw some scripture in there <laughs> to some unbelievers. Like, can you believe what's going on in our world? Can you believe how? Can you believe Biden? Can you believe this? Can you believe that? You know, but the word of God is so true. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go get more coffee. <laughs> if you ever want to stop the enemy's influence, just speak truth. Speak words of power. And that's what Jesus did. There was chaos all around, but because there was nothing but peace in Jesus, he had peace, he was able to speak peace, and then there was peace. And finally, this last point here is that after we get peace for ourselves and we can speak peace to our circumstances, we need to release peace. Release it. Because gifts are not just for you. Gifts are to free you, but then gifts are to be flown through you. God wants to give you gifts not only so that you can prosper, so that you can help the prosperity of others. And so when you have peace and you can speak to your peace and you're in a great place with God, that's a perfect opportunity to say, God, how do you want to use me? Even if it's as simple as this, to say, okay, I know I'm going to meet with Susie today at two for coffee. I know I'm going to have a conversation with her. So let me take five quick minutes to say, Father, give me a prophetic word. God, speak to my heart about Susie. There's something you want to tell her. There's some, some way you want me to encourage her. So what is that, Lord? And I encourage you to go ready with the word of peace to a friend that you're about to meet or to your boss, or to your principal, or to wherever it may be, to bring a word that we got to be able to be positioned to be used by God, because he wants to use us in a big way. And I'll conclude with this. Uh, we, we talked about, and, and uh, uh, Pastor Wally, you talked about Psalm 27, about the face of God. The presence and the face of God sometimes are used as the same word in the scriptures. Because when Adam, it says in, in Genesis 2-7, that God put the dust of the earth and it breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. So he was just a shell of a man until God breathed into him. But if he's breathing into Adam, what do you think Adam's first image was as a created being? It was the face of God. That's how it always should have been. And unless we're convinced that the face of God shines upon us, we're always going to walk in fear. We have to be convinced of the love of God in our lives. And one of the greatest ways that I learned that as a little kid it's about, gosh, 30 years ago, <clears throat> 30 years ago, there was an earthquake when I lived in San Diego called the Northridge Earthquake. 
you may remember this, 6.7 magnitude earthquake. Buildings came down, freeway overpasses collapsed, many people died, fires erupted all over the place. And I just remember as a little kid, waking up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to the most thunderous sound you could ever hear. Things flying off of the shelves, windows cracking. I mean, it's just, you think tornadoes are bad. At least you got a warning sometimes with that. But earthquakes come out of nowhere. And I remember just completely paralyzed in fear. I had no idea what to do. I mean, you learn as a kid in school how to get under your desk and how to run out of the building and, and you have your, your family plan in place to when a disaster happens. All that leaves the room when you're terrified. But I remember that my six-foot, big, burly Mexican dad came running into the room. He didn't say a word. He just grabbed me, picked me up, and as a family, we left. And I remember that some of the aftershocks of that earthquake were far worse than the actual earthquake itself. And it left us in a place where we were scared that at any moment our house can fall down on us. So I didn't sleep for days after that earthquake. And my mom, she tried desperately. She, you know, she tried to convince me and to, you know, soothe my anxiety and all that kind of stuff and try to make me feel like it was going to be okay. None of that worked. Finally, he walks in and, what's going on here? (laughs) What's wrong? What are you afraid of? (laughs) I said, I'm afraid of the earthquake. And he didn't argue. He didn't try to convince me. He just stated a fact. What happened when the earthquake came? He said, you picked me up and took me outside. He says, it'll be over my dead body that any harm will ever come upon you. I went right to bed. Went right to bed. Because I was convinced that my daddy would do everything possible to keep me safe. How much more our Heavenly Father? Oh, we're going to go through stuff in life. We're on this side of eternity. People sin. Things, bad things happen to good people. We understand that. But there is a loving heavenly father who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And I just want to encourage you to seek his face. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Don't just go after peace so that your pain could be alleviated for a moment. Go after the one who brings peace. And watch how your life can transform. So if we we have a song ready to go, we're going to worship just a little bit more. But let me pray. I want to declare supernatural peace over our lives here this morning. Father, it is so good to be in the house of God today. It seems like we get a million messages a day about fear and distraction and doubt and worry and stress and all this other stuff. But no, we are called a child of God. We have a hope in heaven. We have an anchor called hope in you. And thank you, Father, that our soul have been saved and we are called your own. And so as we go about this new week, (laughs) there's worry. Whether that's we find ourselves in a hospital like Annette did, or we got a new pregnancy and, and we really want this baby to be fully healthy and we're battling doubts. There's always something there, God. But I declare right now in the Holy Spirit that there be a manifestation of true peace. As we go about this week, Father, may we anchor ourselves in your word. May we stir ourselves up. Like David who faced calamity, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. May we do that this week. I bless my friends here. May you heal them. May you speak to them. May you encourage them. But I pray, Father, that you would begin to deposit in their hearts this grand hunger and desperation for your face. I pray that this week our reward would not be a vacation that's coming around the corner or a movie we're going to go see 
or a nice restaurant we've been wanting to visit or a weekend after a long week of work. I pray like, like Abraham in Genesis. He said, here's God, my great reward. May your face, may your presence be so overwhelmingly satisfying this week to each and every one of us. May you go before us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. And as we worship you now, may our hearts turn back in affection to your face. In Jesus' name.